back with a bang. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with the Brian Campbell coming back at you hot and heavy. I back. Trust me. I back. Thank you, Andy. We're back. It's Mixed Martial Arts Day. It's MMA. It's UFC 240. And a look ahead to all things UFC Newark. Welterweights are hot right now. And we got one of them on the show this week. Chaos is here. Colby Covington getting you all kinds of fired up for his fight Saturday in Newark against Robbie Lawler. His thoughts on really just about everyone in an interview you won't want to miss. And we got the boys back in town. It's Hall of Famer Sugar Rashad Evans. Broski, how is it? It is amazing. You fired up? You feeling what I'm feeling? Oh. Yeah, I'm feeling. I, I'm going to New Jersey this week. I'm going to be at the fight, so I'm excited. Oh, are you are you working for ESPN? Yes, I am. It's going right. to be a good show. Me and uh, Usman. So you know Usman Ooh. and Kobe Covington. Hey, it's going to be. Kobe called him uh, Marty Fake Newsman. So you're Marty Snoozman. So you're going to have to get on get on uh, get in Marty's ear about that. Hey, Brandon Wise in the house. CBS Sports editor, writer, uh, former All State left tackle, and Brandon. Are you going to tell the people about what you're doing in that gym down there in Florida these days? What do you want me to tell people about BC? Like sparring? Sparring, kickboxing, MMAing? I'm not MMAing, that's for one. <laughs> Two, kickboxing, I got my butt kicked on Saturday doing my first sparring session ever. I thought I was concussed for a little while, that was fun. Um, I got a nice bruise on my hip from a couple of kicks. <sighs> but... I, it, all it did was give me more confidence that you are not lasting more than three <laughs> minutes in this oh, fight. Oh, see, it's <laughs> easy to talk now when I'm at a career high 228 pounds. It's easy to talk now. Eight? 228. Uh, dude, I, been, I was, uh, I was <laughs> home. Five pounds away the, the, from the, you. The Vegas, the Vegas trip, that's what did it, right? I may have been home for four days in July, okay? <laughs> all right. I'm washed. I turned 41 the other day. I've been eating pizza uh, every night. Yeah, all right, all right. Not all of us can cut down the middleweight like an aging Rashad Evans and look that good, right? You know? <laughs> Rashad, what do you walk around at these days? Because you still look like you got it. I'm like at 205 right now, consistently. Okay. okay. What about yeah. you, Big Wise? You, you... 235. All right. all right. The fact that I'm that close to you in weight right now is scary. It's... That should be a warning sign to you. There's there's a few warnings going on, all right? I got a doctor's <laughs> appointment coming up. There's a few things happening there. All right. Hey, enough of that weird talk, guys. It's MMA time. It's State of Combat time, and a reminder, if you like what you hear on this show, please spread it forward. Pay it forward. Spread it. That's so weird. Don't spread anything. Pay it forward with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume fine audio. Uh, guys, what is new in your uh, respective lives? How are we doing here this week? What's happening? All right? Nothing else? Man. I'm I'm good, man. I uh just been uh you know working on a few projects. One of the projects I'm working on is um one where we're doing some gyms for the inner city kids. Yes. In North Miami. Yeah, we're doing we're doing some projects and, and helping them re renovate their gyms and it's going pretty well. Uh I've been doing a lot of work, but uh it's a fun project because these kids, you know, they they, they need this gym. They go to the school all year round and, you know, it's so hot in Miami, you know, the school is where they go and do their, you know, play basketball or lift weights and do whatever, just get ready for the school year. So without having a gym running properly, they just go into the street and do whatever. So making sure this gym and up and running, running is a big priority. Wow. Hall of Fame fighter, Hall of Fame person, Sugar Rashad <laughs> Evans. I can get behind that. And you mentioned how sweltering 
it is in Miami and South Florida. I don't know everywhere in the country these days. Vegas, Avon, Connecticut. That's why the folks at Ballsy, B-A-L-L-S-Y, have really done a great job outfitting me this summer with the sack spray, the, the, the nut rub, the ball wash, all the fine products to avoid that. You know, that swamp ass that's coming for you. And, and BC, here I am, week after week we're on the show, and I hear you talk about this great product, but I have never, I haven't got any, and it's hot, it's sweltering. Hey, it's coming. It's coming, all right? <laughs> the folks at Ballsy, we've been in touch. It's coming. Hashtag live balls out from the people at Ballsy. Uh, hey guys, there's a lot going on outside of the, just the world of MMA. Rashad, are you a big fantasy football guy by any chance? Yeah, I like fantasy football. All right, all right, I'll take that. Well, I want you to be ready for your fantasy football draft this year. And here's how you're going to do it. Check out the CBS Sports Fantasy Football Today podcast. Our fantasy team at CBS is recording an episode every single weekday from now until the end of this calendar year. We're talking sleepers, breakouts, busts. Wow, I'd like to hear about some busts, you know? Mock drafts on the air, listener interaction via email and Twitter. It's the best way to win your league. Subscribe today to the Fantasy Football Today podcast wherever you get fine podcasts. All right. Hey, uh, Brandon, I once had, by the way, I've, I'm an OG in fantasy football. I started playing in 1990, which is probably why I'm burnt out and will never play again. But um, I had Keith Byers on my team, your high school football coach, at one point. All right? All right? Did you, did you win a championship? Not with him, but that's okay. Same thing with your school. That's fine. You know? All right. <laughs> All right. Such a dick. Wow. All right. All right. Hey, before we get into the actual meat of the show, why don't we pause for a second? You know, hear a word from our fine friends and sponsors. Dig it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. And we're back, BCB Dubs and Rashad Evans coming at you, fellas. A lot to get to this week. Colby Covington is coming. You don't want to miss that. But let's look back before we look ahead. We had a pay-per-view this past weekend. Edmonton, Alberta was the host. UFC 240. Um, You know, it was a bad card on paper. And save for those two sexy bouts, maybe the Jeff Neal bout, it didn't do much to move my needle at least the rest of the way. But good amount of headlines coming out of those two or three bouts atop the card. Max Holloway defending his featherweight championship against Frankie Edgar. They went the five-round distance. Rashad, anything different play out in this fight from your expectations coming in? No, I knew it was pretty much going to play out like this. I knew the biggest problem for Frankie was going to be getting Max to the ground. You know, being a shorter fighter against the guys in, in the weight class like Frankie's going against, he has a hard time 
getting them off the ground these days. You know, when he's lifting them up and he can't, no matter how far he's twisting and turning, they always keep a piece of that foot down on the ground and it really messes him up from getting a takedown. Had he been able to get the takedown on Max, then it, it, he would have been able to implement more of his game plan with the ground and pound and then get back to his feet and then maybe have more of his way on his feet. But Max being so good and just, you know, being methodical, picking him apart and just, you know, using his reach and doing everything to keep Frankie on the outside, not really biting on the level changes or anything in Frankie's game. It, it, it was a really, you know, a, a superior uh, performance by Max. You know, he, he, he went and he showed that, you know, technically speaking, he can stumble and have a bad fight, but then turn it around. And then start going back to the same max that we did that we seen before he went up to uh, fight uh, Dustin. Yeah, technical brilliance is what I took from this fight, Matt. And here's the thing, Rashad: Max is so damn unflappable. Like we know what happened in 2018 when he had to be pulled from two consecutive fights. We were all worried about his health coming off that interview he did with Michael Bisping on TV ahead of that summer fight when he got pulled. You know, and he comes back and destroys Ortega like nothing ever happened. We had softer worries about him coming in here. Not worries, but, you know, would he be affected mentally or physically by that Poirier loss? The guy's 27. He's already got an insane resume where people are already calling him possibly the greatest featherweight ever. And I never see him break. I never see, yeah, lost a fight. But even after he lost that fight to Poirier, he came right down to us on Press Row in Atlanta and was cracking jokes about the Toronto Raptors, talking about his ninth island or whatever. This guy lives to fight and he can't be faded. Yeah, I think the biggest reason why he, he's able to just adjust the way he has is because of the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't take himself too serious in, a, in, a, in a respect that, you know, um, the fact that he can't lose or anything like that, when when he has something like that happens, have a hiccup, he faces it right away. He faces the music. He doesn't allow that space to to grow there where where where, where an excuse can come into place or anything else like that. He goes and he gets in front of it, and by getting in front of whatever it is, whatever adversity he's facing, he's able to get past it, and he's able to not make that 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 hiccup a, a monster. And sometimes we have a tendency to do that when we try not to face things that bring us uncomfortable, uncomfortable That's feelings. A fair point. He kind of walked into it because he was honest about what he faced last summer, which was the depression that came with being pulled from consecutive fights and doubting himself, fearing for his medical changes going in the wrong direction. Everything worked out great. He seems like the same guy. And Brando, I think in the end, it's like we wondered if Frankie Edgar was going to be a little bit too old. Was this a formality? Good God, in a one-sided loss, Frankie Edgar did nothing but impress me. But I feel like at this age, it's going to be hard to get past that length issue against a guy like Max. And if you cannot take him down, which Frankie was unable to, it's tough, man. It's heartbreaking. You saw that post-fight interview. There's nothing I didn't think Frankie could have done differently. Just can't beat a guy like that at this point. But what about his his performance impressed you the most? Because for me, it was kind of like, it played out exactly how we thought it might, you know, like it was just Frankie being too small for the division, too small for a guy like Max anyway. And we said coming in, Max has like a 95% takedown defense rate. Like he does not go down. It's ridiculous how strong that guy is in those situations. And when Frankie couldn't get 31 of 32 in this fight against Frankie, something ridiculous like that. I mean, it's just kind of like I, we all, it's not like to boast about it, but it's like, we saw this coming and it's like, I'm sorry, the 13 of 14, not 32 takedowns. 31, yeah, that'd be a lot. Um, but yeah, for, for UFC to book that fight, to me, just was kind of like, okay, they kind of know what they're doing at this point. G- they gave Frankie the shot that he'd been begging for. He waited 
like 15 months to get this opportunity, but so I don't that, disagree with that because that. that was my take coming in, be wise. But I will say, you asked, what did he do to impress me? Well, first of all, he was in top level shape. I mean, he always is, but he was he was ready mentally and physically. And yes, couldn't get the takedown, so he ultimately lost. But Rashad, the game planning, the quickness, the speed, the way he disguised his attacks, he was still getting the offense off on Max. That, again, the size issue, all that, you, if you can't take him down, it was going to be an uphill battle. But I ended up being impressed by him. Yeah, well, I mean, when you look at Frankie's game and you look at everything that comes in Frankie's game, you cannot take away um, his coach. You know, his coach... Mark is is absolutely amazing when it comes to strategy and when it comes to game plans. You know, when I trained with Mark, Mark Henry had me learn all these codes, and he, and he had it on his wrist like a football coach. And during the fight, or like or all through training camp, he would you know say these codes, and I knew they corresponded to certain combinations. And then it became like a video game. He'll say a code, and I hear it, and I'll just do whatever he tells me to do because obviously he sees what I don't see. So he that's what Frankie Edgar has in an in, in, in advantage for him when he goes into any fight because Mark is able to just say a code and Frankie would do it and no one knows no one is the wiser. I think that that is one of the biggest reasons why Frankie's been so successful. But when I look at Frankie at the 145 weight class, he is very tough. He is he is he's been at the top for a long time, but I, I do think he's just a little too small for the weight class. I think at 135, he will be able to land the takedown on those much shorter guys and be able to implement his game plan on a level that he's not able to do at 145 or at 155 anymore. Which makes it again crazy that he was ever the lightweight champion, that he ever you know beat still end of his prime BJ Penn twice, that he still did. The, I mean, when we look back on it, guys. How did he do that? Was it just the ability to take damage mixed with the speed of his boxing? I mean, I almost like need to go back and rewatch the fights to remind myself because you're right. The problem was size on Saturday night and obviously Max's greatness. But the problem was size in some cases above all else. How did he ever do that at 55? Good God. I know. I think the reason why he was able to do that at 55 is because back then it was he was he was his game plan fit a niche that people weren't doing really well then you know what i'm saying the transition between punching and striking it wasn't as smooth as it is now now the transitions from lower level to high level and fighting multi-level game plans everyone's doing it now you know back in the day people were so uh into their one discipline where you know it made it a little bit easier to have a multi-dimensional game and then come ahead of those those guys you know so not to take anything away from Frankie's game, but the level of the game of MMA has evolved where now those things that Frankie was doing before is, is not really working at the weight class he's in right now. If he goes to 135, then he's able to use his size to implement some of those things, and I it like may work I like that again. breakdown. That's an interesting way to look at it. It was st still – I mean we're talking about 2009, 2010, 2011 when he was doing those things at lightweight, so it's interesting – a, how fast the sport constantly evolves. B, how Frankie has evolved with it to certainly stay relevant late in his age. But, Brando, the conversation obviously now is, does he go to 135? He was sort of noncommittal in a very honest and emotional post-fight interview. I mean, that again, this is why we love Frankie. This is why he's on that short list of most beloved fighters, because of the wars he gave you, because of the honest answers he always gives and the honest effort. But I feel like there's nowhere else to go if you want to still stay fighting right now outside of just being a name i mean like he's better than just being a name at this point in my opinion but when yeah. you look at that division what do you, what happens what are your thoughts what does that look like him against some of those big names there 
in 135, I think there's just a lot more business to be done. Like 145, he's been in there for so long now that he's fought just about everybody except for maybe he's the beat who's his teammate. So it's like, what is there to do at 145? Not a lot, but 135. I made the suggestion on Friday on Twitter and I got a lot of blowback weirdly, but Mr. Faber needs a fight. I'm down to do a rematch of their, their fight that they had at 145 a few years ago. I think that's an interesting sell. If you need a feature fight on a main card, on a pay-per-view card or a, a headliner for uh, one of these ESPN plus or ESPN events. I don't There's hate a- this. I don't hate this at all. No, I think it's a great idea. I think that, that it, it, um, it's kind of perfect to be honest, you know, because the, where Frankie is right now is like, look, I, I made the jump to 185 after I was at 205 for a long time. And when I made the jump to 185, I was still a relevant contender at the 205 weight class. But when I jumped down to 185 and I lost my first fight and didn't look oppressive, that just totally killed me. That just totally destroyed, you know, anything that I had at, at 205. So with that said, if Frankie is to make that jump down to 185, you know, I mean 135, he would have to make that splash with someone, a big name guy. You know what I'm saying? Because in that way, if he does lose, then it's not going to hurt him to go back. You know, my mistake at going to 185 was when I came into the weight class, I fought an opponent who I should have beat. You know what I'm saying? So when you drop down and you fight somebody you should beat and you don't beat them, it's done. That's a fair point. It's weird. It used to be looked at as desperation, Rashad, in boxing or MMA to go down in weight later in your career. We'd seen guys do it and, and, you know, their body just kind of let them down because of the dehydration of the weight cut and all that stuff. I feel like it's more accepted and it's, and you're finding people having more success in doing that. Yeah, I think it's more accepted now. And I think smartly so. I think now people are starting to, you know, go with where their body naturally feels best at. And, and, and far as, you know, for me, when I was competing at 205, I found myself at the lighter end of the 205 spectrum because those guys were massively big. Those guys were cutting down from 240, you know, down. You know, these were big guys. So when they got into the cage, they were just, you know, they were just hitting a nosedive and going back up. And on fight night, they'd be like at 220, 225. Meanwhile, I'm back at 205, you know, 210. (laughs) So it, it it was a big size disparity. And, um, I thought at 185 I'll be able to hit that niche, but even that was a little bit too low for me. If there was like a 195 weight class, that would have been actually perfect, you know? That's but it, it's just one of those things, you know? I will just say this, though. For a guy who started at 155, who we all kind of said was way too – he was too small for that division, right? It was his probably natural weight class, though, because Frankie's probably not – he didn't cut a lot at 155. He was probably walking into the cage – those nights at like 158, maybe 159. Now we're talking about him doing weight cutting where he might be hurting himself and hurting his body and his brain before a fight. I understand it, but I also feel like we should be conscious of that because of all the discussions we've had about people having tough weight cuts in the last few months. That's very fair. That's very fair. Uh, when we look at him potentially going to 35 if he makes this decision, and again, I really mean it. I don't think there's, I don't think there is a decision. I almost feel like he kind of has to because he's not getting another title shot. At featherweight, and he's too good, I think, right now to linger and just sell his name either to other aging names or to young guys on the rise. If you're UFC, and let's say he went down to bantamweight, let's say he beat a Faber in a rematch, do you fast track him to a title? Do you keep him away from the Peter Yans and the Aljos? Do you get him right in there to use his name potentially to rub up Cejudo even more? 
I think you you definitely get him in there. You know, if he goes in there, and he looks phenomenal his first fight, and he beats uh, Faber, uh, fictionally speaking, then um, yeah, that you you want to fast track him, you want to get him in there because you know he he's got that name, he's got that legacy, he's got all the things that you want. You know, a uh, young up and coming fighter to uh, you know to to take if he if he beats him. You know, you want him to have that credibility. So. Yeah, put him in a fight like that. And then here's the thing about it is, if he does win, now you have more way to sell him. So it's a win-win for you, you know, putting Frankie in those positions. But I th- I think the big thing for Frankie right now is just for him to just sit with this loss and then just make an honest decision for himself and be like, look, if I go down to 135, I'm not running away. I'm not quitting. I'm not getting kicked out the weight class. It's just it's just a natural transition for me. You know what I'm saying? I feel like his body has been transitioning for this uh, because of the fact that everyone else is getting so much bigger in his weight class. You know, everyone is so much taller. Watching him train with Zabit out in Jersey is crazy. They look like in two different weight classes because Zabit is so tall. You know, and, and even watching them train in practice, you can kind of foreshadow and kind of foresee some of the problems that Frankie has with the taller fighters because when I watch him train with Zabit, he has a hard time getting him down because he can't get the foot down because Zabit is so tall. Yeah, it would be interesting at Bantamweight in many ways. Wow. I mean, can you imagine, Brando, him against your adult, large adult son, Peter Jan, who, <laughs> who wanted nothing to do with that photo I took of the two of you in the uh, casino in Vegas? Just a reminder. Thank you. They were, I mean, they're about the same size, right? Peter and, and Frankie? Yeah, probably. Yeah. That'd be I interesting. Mean, I mean, it's, it, it kind of reminds me of Kenny Florian going down to um, cutting down at the end of his career to get that title shot against Aldo at featherweight, trying to get that one more chance. But I feel like BJ, or I'm sorry, I feel like um, Frankie's much fresher at this point, has much more to add. I mean, he's much be, fresher. Yeah. Wait, you, wait, hold on. You think fresher? The guy who has the record for most cage time in UFC history at like seven hours or something? Yeah, but, you, but he is fresher because think about it. He, he, he went, I mean, the whole fight with Max. Max was tatting him up. Tatting him up, you didn't see mm-hmm. Frankie stumble, dumble not one time. Like he, he, he was, he was. I mean, he took some pretty good shots, oh, yeah. and he was, he wasn't skating on ice at all. Like you get as old as Frankie is, and you fought as long as he has, and as much cage time he has, you start getting chinny after a while because you, you've taken some shots. But the fact that he hasn't been getting chinny, the fact that he has taken some big shots, and he keeps, I mean, his fights with Gray Maynard. How many times he, he got the, the name Iron Man because of that? You know what I'm saying? He, he took so many shots in that, but yet. He still isn't Chenny. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. That he's only been knocked out once, and it was like a a flash knockout by Ortega on an uppercut. But how many times been knocked out by when when he got fought Gray? How many times he could have been? Mm-hmm. It it was. It's weird. Yeah, he almost had an Arturo Gatti type identity for a while there at lightweight uh, fighting yeah. over his head, and now you watch his evolution, and and he it seems like he doesn't take as much punishment anymore. He's sure. he's sort of evolved. The speed's still there. Like, like like we were talking about Pacquiao last week. It's very interesting. Max, still the king at featherweight. Certainly have some names lining up that we want to see him against. Alexander Volkanovsky, B-Dubs' boy from down under. He was there at the, on the broadcast. He was ready to bring the thunder. He wants it in Australia. Max isn't sure. I don't think you need to rush that fight. I get the connection between Volkanovsky and Australia, but, uh, hey, we got a fight called Whitaker Adesanya. Two oceanic stars headlining that. Uh, yeah, that thing is enough to sell that pay-per-view. We're fine right there. But, uh, this is the fight to make, right? Max Volkanovsky, do not pass go. Go right in this direction right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one thing you always want to do is you want to make sure you feed the champ new talent. And it took a while for 
Volkanovski to come out, but now we have somebody fresh and new to feed the talent, feed the, feed the champ. So it, it, it kind of breaks down the stagnation that happens in a weight class when you got the round robins of fight, the same fighters fighting each other. You got this fresh blood in there. Volkanovski is, is very tough. He brings some, some things that, that Max is going to have to, uh, to think about. And, and for one, he believes, you know what I'm saying? It goes to, it goes to that belief again. You know, when, when, when guys believe, it's something different. And then simple. And another fact is the fact that he just seen Max lose to Dustin Poirier. So the fact that Max losing isn't out of his mind. He know the man can get beat. You know, a lot of champions, they win just because of the simple fact of a lot of people like, oh, man, no one's really beat this guy. And, you know, they start doubting themselves off of this guy's past wins and, and, and past performances. But in this case, Max is coming off that loss with, with Dustin Poirier, you know, a, a guy chomping at his bit and be like, you know what, I, I can get him. Let's look at the rest of this division for a second. Volkanovski is the number one contender. Seems like the right fight to make with Max next. We just, they just announced this UFC Mexico main event, right? What is it? Yair Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens? Yep. Yeah. Seven and eight in the rankings right now. That thing bangs. Need to see that. Where does Brian Ortega at two go next? Is he going to be on that Mexico card? That's the, he was being rumored for that Korean zombie fight for the Mexico City card, but it seems like that's kind of fallen apart. We don't know if that's going to take place there or later on this year because Korean zombie does want to fight in South Korea and at the end of the year in, in December. So we basically have this group of Ortega, Jose Aldo, Zabit, and Korean zombie right in the mix, in the midst of that top six or seven in the rankings who don't have fights right now, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Let's match them up against each other. I mean, I've wanted to see Ortega Aldo for a long time. Yes. With Aldo yep. resigned, that kind of seems perfect. Whoever wins that has next. Yeah, they're both coming off losses, right? True. So, can I just say, since we're, I think we're going to pivot to this in a second, this was not a great weekend for Dana White in general. <laughs> um, he flew Volkanovski to this fight in Edmonton from Australia. That dude had a 38-hour travel day. And he had to make weight on Friday as the alternate just in case something went wrong with Max or Frankie. The, tell me he got paid, please, because no, that's he, ridiculous. No, you, you get paid. You get paid when you okay, do that. Okay, because you do that. to make that guy travel 38 hours <laughs> from somewhere in Australia that I don't remember to Edmonton in the middle of nowhere, Canada. <laughs> but, like, I mean, that's not even the worst part of what you're saying. The worst part about what you're saying is that he actually had to do a full training camp. While cutting weight the <laughs> yeah. whole time. He's done he, – like like these guys who sign up to be the, the stand-up, the backup, they do a full training camp. It's not – it may not be as intense as if they were the one actually fighting, but I remember when Kamaru did it, he did it as if he had a full training camp. Mm-hmm. And it was treated as such. That's got to just – Add to the hunger that you have when you're that guy, that guy who feels like you've been a little overlooked, who wants the title so bad, and you feel like you're next in line, and you'll do anything to hold that place in the on-deck circle next in line. That must just fuel you. Like That must make you angry in good ways to, to, yeah. to jump out of there. I mean, we saw Volkanovski you know, yearn for camera time this weekend and get it and sort of put his face out there. So I wonder and if here's, that was- And here's a hidden thing about what you just said, the fact that you get to have two training camps to fight one person. You get what I'm saying? Because the first one is is the one where you're just doing it to be the backup, and then the next training camp is a real deal. Mm-hmm. So, so for the next time Volkanovski actually gets the chance to fight Max, it would be a second training camp for Max Holloway. Um, you know, not everyone likes these type of conversations, and I feel like every week we're trying to update the goat on everything. Am I the greatest MMA podcaster of all time? 
this week. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's up to you to decide. But Holloway's, I guess he's the goat featherweight, right? I mean, he beat Aldo twice. That's really the, the, you know, some, a lot of people said, well, adding Frankie now to the ledger, that makes it cemented. That makes it guaranteed. I mean, this division hasn't been around a long time. I don't know if I've ever seen Connor lose at featherweight, but I guess it's gotta be Max, right? I mean, here's the thing. I, 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 Max is, I think he has four title defenses now at 145 with, mm-hmm. with his win against Frankie. Mm-hmm. Jose has nine. So, well, Max, Connor has zero. Well, yeah. Max has a 14 here's, here's, fight. Max does have a 14 fight win streak right now in the division because he, you know, he had to wait a long time to get that title shot. Oh, yeah, I, I, I totally understand it. I totally understand it. But then at the same time, having a 14 fight win streak and then defending the belt 14 times are two different things. You know what I'm saying? The, the level of competition, your mindset going into each performance is not going to be the same as when you're the title champ, the, the, the title holder. So, uh, I think that. Yeah, Max is great, and Max has been doing his thing, and Max is going to continue to perform. But I don't think that we can just put him into the of all time and just overlook Jose like that. Yeah, you know I know what, what you're saying. saying. Like, for the longest time, Jose gave people nightmares. He gave people anxiety. Like, man, I don't want – like, he was just nasty. The head-to-head he head doesn't always fix it. Like, for example, Frankie Edgar beat BJ Penn twice when BJ was champion. Do I think Frankie Edgar is greater historically than BJ Penn? No. Right, right. You know, and it's, same, and it's the same thing with with. Well, I, I do I, I do think historically, I don't know. I, I'm a Frankie fan. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie fan. You know, if I beat Brandon Wise in this three round sparring session, you know, he may go on to do great things in his career. He may outlast me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is like you could say the greatest UFC featherweight champion of all time. But Jose is the greatest featherweight MMA fighter of all time. I think that's the easier way to to, de- to delineate the two points. Because, I like that delineation. Because Jose ran WEC forever too True. before they pull, before they brought the division to the UFC. Right. So it's like you got to weigh all of the all of the resumes when you're talking about this stuff. Are we quick in this discussion? Final point on this: Are we quick to just sort of pass over what Connor did at featherweight because he never defended the title and because right now? He's teetering toward more clown than anything else in terms of his public image. Yes. And here's the thing about what we shouldn't. We shouldn't because what Connor did was amazing. Straight out amazing. Anybody can hate on Connor, say he's this or he's that. What Connor did as far as performance is absolutely amazing. You know, you, you don't just go through the fighters that he went through and the way he went through them without being considered like, yo, this guy is pretty freaking good. You know what I'm saying? This guy is pretty great. I think Connor's problem came when he spread himself a little too thin and, and he wanted to get his hands in every single pot, which is good. He got paid for it, but then his fighting suffered. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, Something's yeah. going to suffer and his fighting did suffer. Now, can he get back to that? That's the question. Can Connor get back to that Connor where he, where he was the one dynamically putting fighters out that, that he shouldn't have. You know what I'm saying? Jose Alder. Could that counter come back? I don't know. As a featherweight in the UFC, he was 7-0 and with victories over Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier, Dennis Seaver, Chad Mendes, Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. He, have, he had a couple others against some lesser names. That's not bad. That is not a bad it's, featherweight no. legacy right there. Wow. Just, 
But it, it is worth noting that the Max fight was when Max was 21, and I think it was like his third fight in the UFC or something. No, same. I mean, Poirier was a little bit early too to the Poirier he became now. Obviously, it's it's. There's no doubt. There's there's certainly asterisks involved. Uh, Coleman. I mean, yeah, what do you got? But at the same time, as you're saying it, you know, Conor was young too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was. But he had a little bit more experience coming in from cage fighter, cage warriors in Ireland, and he was the double yeah. champ over there. So there's just. A few things, you know, you gotta, you gotta remember to keep all these things intact. Also, to UFC 240, the big story was Chris Cyborg. She was back. Last fight of the deal takes a very competitive, hard fought decision from newcomer Felicia Spencer. A weird fight, guys, in the sense that everyone seemingly gets elevated. We watch Cyborg have to rally a bit through a cut have to really kind of empty the tank a bit to get rid of to fight Spencer off and then I think ultimately you could argue Spencer was lifted by the the strength of her performance but the real story really wasn't the fight the story was all about what happens next and then it really evolved even more in the last 24 hours with the war of words between Dana at the post fight press conference and Cyborg both on social media and with ESPN's Ariel Helwani on Monday uh, what's the latest, Brando? What is she, she saying? Uh, Dana needs to apologize. Dana yep. saying she doesn't want the fight. A lot of he said, she said. I'm gonna start right here. Cyborg, in some ways, has always gotten a raw deal by UFC in terms of how they publicly present her. I don't think that's changed. No, I don't, and and, and it's unfortunate because here's the thing. Cyborg is. Uh, a great fighter. Um, she says the right things in front of the cameras. She she uh, she handles her losses her loss well. Um, she she I think that she is a good person for the sport. I think she's a good person for the UFC. That relationship did never never in in its genesis it, it was good. So it's not good right now. I think the UFC can get behind her and they should get behind her just to to um. Listen, you got a man in Nunes, and you have a champ who's done some dynamic things. She needs someone to fight. Yes, she needs she needs someone like Cyborg. If if you don't really care for Cyborg, then then make her that villain. You know what I'm saying? Or, Whatever or case just may be, pump but, her up. Tell everyone yeah, that Cyborg is the or was the greatest of all time, and here's the new one. I mean, look. Yeah. Rashad, we're only two years removed. Luke Thomas reminded me of this. Him and I were in uh, Baltimore over the weekend for the Gervonta Davis fight on Showtime. And on the walls at Royal Farms Arena, there's framed pictures of all the big sports moments that have happened there. And you have the John Jones victory over uh, Glover Teixeira there. And he goes, wow. He goes, uh, that was only, uh, you know, what was that, two, three years ago? He goes, that was the, that, that was the night that Dana compared Cyborg to Vanderlei Silva in a dress. And I'm like... Man, that's not that long ago. That's um, that's not that long ago, and here we are now. And I know it's different five, six years ago when Dana was going around saying Cyborg uh, is a steroid user and she's a man and all this other stuff. And in some ways we've evolved as a society in those five, six, seven, eight years, even though you can never justify those comments. But what I heard out of Dana the last few days, it's like you're going out publicly saying Nunez doesn't want this fight. She only wants easy fights. Amanda is the GOAT. Like, why would you bury Cyborg's name, brand, and image like that? Why wouldn't you be going out of your way to try to bring her back for at least one more fight? Because Amanda has no one else to fight, and this right here is a pay-per-view main event. 
And how many times has that happened for UFC women not named Ronda Rousey? Right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, this goes this goes back to like you know, you know they they have a problem amongst each other, and and a lot of it and a lot of it is this right here when you as a fighter allow the drama to unfold in front of the media, then a lot of things get said that really shouldn't get said, and and, and you know in public, you know, and and I think that even even with Dan and his his comments that he's saying about um about cyborg, you know, I I don't think those those comments are you know, something, something that should be said just because of the fact that you need to have this person to, you know, she, she's, she's a fighter. She's a fighter. And, and more, more or less anything, you know, um, she's, she's lost one fight. She's lost one fight that before that she was the best woman fighter of all time. I just don't understand, like, how does someone just get disregarded like that? It's like the problem starts when he didn't want to sign any women's fighters to start, right? That was the biggest issue is that Cyborg was this dominant force for Elite XC and Strike Force back in the day when they were the only ones putting on women's fights. And Dana pretty much lambasted it. He he thought it was a joke. He didn't believe in it. He Until Ronda Rousey comes along, he doesn't want to do anything with women's fighting. And he refused. He outright says multiple times he's not going to sign Cyborg over the what the, that four year stretch and those comments are still lingering because yeah. the the something that cyborg said yesterday on Ariel Hawani's show is that her daughter is now in school and she's getting picked on from these comments that Dana White is making wow. like kids are like kids are bringing these comments back to life and like using them against her daughter so it's part of it is you have to take stuff that that cyborg saying with a grain of salt, but it's also really believable because the internet's really easy to use to, to, to do those kinds of things. So it's like, I, if I'm cyborg, why do I put myself through this again? When I know I have a good relationship with Scott Coker, I know he's going to take care of me. He's going to make sure I get the money I deserve. Why am I going to keep doing this? Unless it's just in her head that I have to, I have to write this wrong. I have to go out there and prove that I can beat Amanda Nunes. Why am I going to keep working for a company that clearly doesn't respect me? I think that has to be it. I think it's just her her inner her inner uh, drive drive to to want to to do it to mm-hmm. want to want to beat Amanda. You know, um, being undefeated as long as she has uh, and losing one fight, I'm sure that that has to haunt her, and especially the way that she lost it. You know, so I, I'm definitely thinking she wants to get back in there, but. At the same time, it's like you know, at what cost do you mm-hmm. do you lose your sanity <laughs> and and, and trying to and trying to be heard, you know? And uh, it, it's sad and it's unfortunate. And I feel and I feel bad for her. My heart goes out to her. Um, I, I just hope that things work out in, in the respects where you know uh, she's able to sign another contract with the UFC and things things work out, man. I just I just hate to see someone as cool as Cyborg and someone as sweet as Cyborg. You know, go through this. Who's been such an ambassador for the sports, a pioneer on the women's side. And that comment I mentioned with Dana saying that was actually 2014, but it still fits in in the timeline and the history of of the negativity surrounding her. Um, I, I, Brandon, you made some key points about like maybe just take your sanity and go because here's the deal: Cyborg's what 34. She's she's entering that twilight, if not already in there. She can make mm-hmm. a lot of money mixing Bellator with uh, with anyone. Go to PFL. Go to Go to boxing, go to pro wrestling. It, you know, you, you want the best for her. You want her while she can still fight to, to get whatever she can. But it's like, I hear the, what Rashad's saying. It's like that, that, that's the fight though. The Manda Nunez is the fight for her. That's the, not just financially, but 
to kind of repair, not repair her legacy, but, but boost it back up to what it was. I mean, imagine, imagine she comes back and wins that and we get a trilogy. I mean, that, that's a career defining span that she right. could have, but would she be allowed to? Think about a platform of the trilogy. What would that mean for women's sports? Like, 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 honestly speaking, women's sports have grown so much just because of the simple fact of MMA. Like, outside of tennis, what other women's sport do people Fair point. Get, get to watch? Will clamor to watch? Yeah, I mean, certainly women's soccer right now with the World Cup. Yeah, but, but what well, other okay, sport? Women's, are... women's soccer, but there's not a lot of women's sports that people really get into. That's or that men, or to be honest, that or, men get into on that and, level. Exactly, men get into. And men are, are certainly all in on this. And and what do you what you love about MMA is even though there's there's obviously some some very beautiful women in uh, in the UFC. I mean, sometimes you know people wonder, are we going to have a spinoff uh, podcast in which you know we we you know we have Patreon? You no, I'm just kidding. Um, look, there's some very but but the fact is they're not necessarily selling sex, and that's what I'm, that's my good point. It's like. They're selling competitiveness in great fights. So it's like UFC, from a women's standpoint, is sort of presented for all the right reasons. So that's why I just go, I go back to knocking on my own head and banging against the wall going, hey, Dana, like, offer her a one-fight deal with an option of a trilogy. Pay her what she deserves. Apologize to her behind the scenes. Do what you need to get her in, even if it's from a selfish business standpoint, where you know Nunez has nobody else on that level. Give her that chance. She deserves that chance for a rematch. The way she lost that fight, there is the sellable narrative of whether that was a fluke, whether she got into a war that she didn't need to. Go back and look how she did against Holly Holm. You know, like, you can you can sell all that. But with that said, guys, I do want to kind of mention what happened in that Felicia Spencer fight. I feel like we saw second chapter, Cyborg. I feel like we saw Cyborg laboring to fight off Felicia Spencer. And certainly it's a, wow, Felicia Spencer's pretty damn good. She backed up the hype. She came in there. She didn't get finished. She bloodied Cyborg. But this so much reminded me, and I said it this week on our on a Showtime Mortal, Mortal uh, Morning Combat show every Monday. Wow, that was a great sell. <laughs> when I was playing Mortal Combat, I said this. Um, it reminded me of that Fedor fight in Strike Force against Brett Rogers. You remember that, Rashad? Mm-hmm. Yep. Where Brett Rogers that. was lighting him up. And you're like, yep. whoa, what's going on? And Fedor emptied the jug. He figured it out. He f- took all that was left inside of Fedor and knocked him out and finished him. And we're yeah. like, damn, fun fight. We never would have predicted. He would get tapped next by Verdum. He would get sat on by Giant Silva and, and get beaten down. That Dan Henderson would knock him out next, even though that fight, by the way, was fantastic. I wonder if this is sort of that moment for Cyborg, where she had to labor to get rid of a hungry Felicia Spencer. But if she does keep fighting elite people at 34... How much does she actually have left? How much were we praising her for some of those non-Holly Holm UFC fights when the talent she was really facing were people who were taking it late replacement, blown up weights who were just like, yeah, I'll take the money. I'll take the opportunity against Cyborg. It wasn't like she had an actual division. Is she older and a little bit more closer to the end than we even realize is my real question, Rashad. Well, I, I think that you present a really interesting question, and I would say that – um I think, you know, like you said, she's been throwing a lot of late replacement and a lot of just blown up uh, fighters that weren't weren't in the weight class. So with that said, you know, she has had a, a lot of easy opponents and fights she should have won. Now, 
that can hurt you because of the simple fact that, you know, you're, you're always entering a situation where you're supposed to win and you're the dominant one. And then when you go in there with someone else who's not like that, it takes a minute to adjust. And that's, and, and that's what you can kind of see sometimes in cyborg. But I, I, I knew that cyborg would have a little bit trouble with Spencer just because of the grappling aspect of it. And, and, and I said it before the fight, you know, grappling is one of cyborg's weaknesses. It's one of her weaknesses. When she has to grapple against the cage or when she has to fight off someone from, from trying to control her, she, she, she has, she has holes in her game. She has holes in her game. And then the amount of energy that she puts out in a full grappling exchange, it, it compromises her when she gets back to the center of the octagon and her striking. You don't see that same crisp, uh, the crisp striking that you see. You don't see the same combinations or nothing like that. She looks windy. She doesn't, she doesn't yeah, look she as well. She looked wild, right? She looked wild yeah, the last two fights. She looked fights. wild, but that's, that's what happens when she has to dig into that tank because she had to tap into some reserves that she wasn't planning on to because she didn't think that Felicia was that strong. That's what that comes down to, you know? And like you said, you, when, when you have a lot of your career wins, off of fighters who weren't on that level, it can make you a little bit softer. You that, know? And that's why I make the Fedor comparison because I was always a giant Fedor guy. But we can't lie. Before he went to Strike Force during his waning years in Japan, I mean, he was fighting like that giant Dong, the, you know, the good Hong Man Chua. I mean, he was fighting like yeah. some random dudes. It wasn't that killer stretch before of guys like Crow Cop and all that. So I, I just wonder if if some of that has set her back. Obviously, that home win was a good one. And I, you know, I just want to, I want to, I want to see her get that second chance against Nunez. That's the bottom line. Hopefully she gets that. She deserves it. Maybe it didn't help her in her Dana relationship when she had Tito Ortiz as her manager for that stretch <laughs> in terms of joining forces with Dana's mortal enemy, but, uh, it's business. It's 2019. Can we step up? Can we do things right, Brandon? Seriously. Good lord, Hopefully. you look angry right now. Hopefully. Well, I was just going to say, I think that we also need to just note because I'm going to go out on a limb and say, BC, you're not watching a lot of Invicta FC in your spare time. And I don't know what Rashad does, but Felicia Spencer was a champion there. Yeah, she she was. was not a pushover. Like, people who were betting on this fight had no idea what they were expecting right. in Felicia Spencer. Like, they just saw the one fight she had against Megan Anderson in May and were probably like, okay, she's a good grappler. Maybe she can survive a round right. or two. But she went out there and performed well. Like, she was able to eat some major bombs, too. Like... You're talking about her digging into the reserves. I mean, she threw everything she had at, at Felicia, and Felicia just took the punches and rolled with them. It was pretty crazy to watch for somebody who we didn't go in expecting to be able to stand and strike for for her to be able to, to last as long as she did and to, to, wow. to make it to the final bell. Put some respect on her name. All right. I'm, I, ain't, I, ain't, I ain't hating that. Um, else, quickly, elsewhere in UFC 240, uh, Brando. How did you not woketh me to this fella, Jeff Neal? Because I need him now in my life. I need him. What a, what a win. What a brawl, bro. Dude, I mean, Jeff is a beast. He was a, one of those Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series guys who just comes out here and is here to bang. And so is Nico Price, by the way, who landed some huge shots in that first round. But good God, I mean... We knew coming in that there's a reason they put this as the featured bout on the on the main card, and it gave you everything you expected it to because Nico put him in danger, and then Jeff, once he got on top with that ground and pound, dude, he's it was, physically it was like strong. That. He's impressive looking, a little wild, a little vulnerable, but Rashad, I mean, we are we looking at a, 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 a is he the real? I mean, is this is this what we're seeing here? 
I think he can be, you know, and he has a great coach in Safe Saeed, you know, one of my old training partners at Jackson's. I actually cornered Safe a couple of times. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he's got he's got a lot of tools and he's got a lot of power, natural power that can't be taught. You know, when you have a guy with natural power and those physical gifts and you have a good coach, you have a, you have a recipe for, you know, a, a good fighter. And I think that's what you're seeing with Jeff Neal. He's going to continue to grow and he's going to continue to get more confident in his game. You know, I'm excited to see what he does as far as like when he gets a little bit more composed with the striking and a little bit more, you know, out of that brawling stage, but more technical. You know what I'm saying? How, how are those, how, how is that, how is he going to uh, excel then? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Anything else jump out at you guys on this card? Hakeem Duado, I think mm. I said that right. He yeah. looked really good. He he struggled in the first round with some wrestling, and he managed to just turn on on the gas to another level in the second and third round, and then scored a beautiful head kick knockout that just put his opponent straight on his butt. I say his opponent because I don't have his name in front Yoshinori of me. Yoshinori Hori. Thank you. They were saying the way they pronounced it on the broadcast made everybody think they were saying Poirier. Yes, yes. that was weird. Uh, let's transition to some latest news here, Brando. There's a lot of borderline controversial stuff going on there in the news this week. What do you got for us? Borderline? <laughs> I mean, Dana White defending John Jones, saying that it looks really good for him, that he's not going to get any more jail time or, or issues with the police. So he didn't uh, grab this lady by the old, uh... No. I'm going to let you say it. Um... So, so the thing is, he's, he's seen the video. So who has, who has this video? This is Dana White talking to, to, uh, TSN in Canada this weekend, but apparently there's a video out there. Was it surveillance video of what happened in the club? It's gotta be surveillance video, right? Or, or, uh, phone video that somebody posted online, but nobody else has access to except right. Dana White. Look, maybe I, the black internet, like this, the dark web. The dark web? <laughs> did, what'd you say? What'd you call that? I, I could not web. think of the word for a second. I'm sorry. Black I internet? The black it? internet. I meant the dark web. Oh, wow. All right. Um, you hope, you hope this is true. Obviously you hope this is true for John Jones. You hope it was wrong place, wrong time, misunderstanding, blown yeah. up scenario. I guess that's encouraging. I guess we're going to see him back. I, I don't know what else we're going to say about this. Well, I mean, here's the thing, man. John just, John, He's, he's, he's got himself in a position now where he's, you know, known for, for doing some things unsavory outside of the octagon, right? So he has to be smarter about just generally where he's at, you know what I'm saying? And who he's with and all those things. And, and, and he's a fun loving guy. He loves to keep it real and hang out with his boys that he, you know, all of that stuff. But he's got to think like, okay, now, I have to be smart about where I go. I can't hang out with my boys and do the same things that they do because at the end of the day, if something goes wrong, everyone's going to be pointing to me that I'm the one who did it and everyone's going to believe them. So I, I think that's the last part of John Jones' transformation that's going to, you know, uh, help him stay and, and stay out of trouble and get to where he, he believes he can be yeah. being the best in the world. But, um, like if this becomes the, the final false alarm, the final warning, the final sort of like, hey, DC on line one. John Jones, get your shit together. I'm waiting for you. Like, hey, John, get your ish together. We're all waiting for you. Okay. Please be the goat. Be, be, ful fulfill your promise. Go to heavyweight. Do the business. Do the thing. We want to love you, John. We do love you. It's so, it's so ironic though, you know, the, the, John Jones is virtually unbeatable, but the only person who has consistently beat him is, is himself. That's, that's wild. And that's, 
And that, and that's the most wild part about it. You know what I'm saying? The greatest, one of the greatest fighters of all time, if not the greatest fighter of all time, you know, continues to, you know, battle with himself more, more than anything. But I think he'll make it through it. You want to talk about some more controversial stuff? Yeah, bring it, bring it to me. Bring it right to me. How about one BJ Penn fighting Uh, one last time against Nick Lentz later this year? There's no defense here. This is, this is some really (laughs) bad Dana moments here. Dana saying, uh, BJ, I have an interesting relationship with BJ. He wouldn't stop calling me. He wouldn't stop harassing me. Um, tell him no. Okay. (laughs) He's lost seven in a row. And look, they could, UFC can't even lean on the idea that this sells. Like, they've been burying, rightfully so, BJ, deep on the preliminary cards. It's not even like this is a gratuitous sort of like, all right, we'll get ratings out of it. We'll put him in the co-main and it'll do big business. This is a sad situation. This is a great fighter who lingered for too long. Seven in a row is a UFC record. That's bad. On top of that, it's not competitive anymore on this level. On top of that, he's got a string of recent arrests or accusations over the past six months, that ain't good. They're warning signs. They're attacking a DJ in a strip club and brawling him outside, um, bringing a machete to your neighbor's house and threatening him. Um, accusations from ex-girlfriends of some really bad stuff. I don't know if it's all true, but it's telling us something. It's telling us that BJ doesn't need to be in the octagon anymore. And the sad thing is I would guess that he's going to keep fighting somewhere else. You don't have to let it be in UFC. Remember when Dana went to bat for Chuck Liddell because he loved him? Wouldn't let him take fights anymore? Was openly pissed off when Ortiz Liddell 3 happened and Golden Boy MMA invented itself for one night? You want to give, like, Rashad, tell me if I'm being out of line disrespectful to legends here. But when you lose seven in a row, you don't get the, the, well, let's give him a retirement bout. We'll sell it as a retirement bout. He can go out on his own terms. I don't think you get that here. And I think if, if, if Dana's looking to give him a gift, give him a job, give him a pension, give him a lump sum of money, make it where this doesn't have to happen anymore. And I'm not saying this is because of money. I know nothing about BJ Penn's personal life other than what I read in the police blog. Maybe it's just the love. Maybe it's the competition. Maybe it's the addiction. I don't know, but it ain't good, Rashad. And I'm going to give you a chance to tell me differently. Nah, you know what? I, I, uh, I happen to agree on a, on this level just because of the fact that, listen, no one can, it, it's hard to tell a fighter when to stop fighting just because the genesis of fighting from a fighter, it comes from a, a pure place. You know, it comes from a place, uh, that, that's, that's totally just an expression. And, and with that said, you want to allow somebody to express whatever their art is, if they were to draw whatever they, their art is. But at the same time, when you start to, take the beatings that bj has been taking and we've seen him lose seven times now he's done seven training camps where he's taken a lot of damage as well to a lot of headshots and a lot of a, a lot of damage now you put that coupled with the fact that he's had a very long and tough career with a lot of battles a lot of wars in those fights it's a lot of shots it's a lot of shots and at some point you have to be like all right i know this guy's gonna keep on fighting but i have to find a way to just to not let this happen anymore. I, I think that BJ, um, BJ, BJ needs to just, I don't know, you know, cause I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why BJ's fighting. I don't know what he's going through on a personal level. I don't know, you know, it's, so it's hard for me to say as a fighter to be like, oh, BJ, you need to stop because I don't know what he's going through. But as a promotion, I would say, yeah, 
<laughs> but here, here's another thing too. It, it's, you know, this is this is why, this is why Dana White is is to me um, a, a good dude because of the fact that you know he he has a loyalty to those guys who helped build the sport, the organization. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the, that's what you see when you see him getting behind BJ Penn and stuff like that is, is that he, he's honoring that loyalty. He knows that, you know, uh, you know, uh, BJ helped out a lot in the beginning of this. And I feel like, you know, danger is, is honoring that. And, 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 and maybe in a weird way, whatever the case may be, but I think that this is just Dana's way of just honoring what BJ Penn have done for the sport. Um, Brandon, true or false? And I, I don't want to fast forward past that. I get what you're saying there. I get what you're saying there completely. I just wonder if, if this honor is is misguided. And Brandon, true or false? The last time BJ Penn won a fight, which I believe was 2009 against Matt Hughes, you were in middle school. That's the business right there. Sorry, Rip Hamilton just walked in. Oh yeah, Rip in the house. Oh, gave Rip some love, man. Sorry, continue with your point, BC. My, my it was a question to you. I'm so, I didn't hear it. <laughs> the last time BJ Penn won a fight, true or false, you were still in middle school. What year was it? 2009, <laughs> Matt Hughes. 2009? Matt Hughes, yes. High school. Oh, wow. wow. Junior year of high school. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> that's bad, man. It, it, it's, it's all the way bad. It's all the way bad, but it's like, what do you, what do you, what do you do? You know what I'm saying? You say I mean, no because you love him. You say no more. No yeah, mas. You gotta say no more. And the, and the Dana's comments about if one of you is a doctor, like all this, this, these crap, like no, like I get he's your guy, get your protecting, get money, give him, I don't know. And that's the thing though that we were, <laughs> we were talking about it before. They're gonna bury him on the early prelims or prelims and he's gonna end up being the highest paid person on that card just because he's been around for so long. So his, his pay increases as he keeps fighting. It's not good. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm actually, I'm actually upset. Move on. Let's go. Get out of here. Um, do you want to talk about that Will Brooks thing that I sent you over the weekend? Yeah. Did you guys see this? Will Brooks got jobbed in this stoppage against Gleison Tebow in some country around the world, but like, I think it was in the Philippines. What? Why? Why are you there? Why are you doing this? Will Brooks? What happened? Will Brooks, who was in the UFC, what two years ago? Mm-hmm. He's fighting for some off-brand promotion in, in, with Gleison Tebow, and Gleison had him in a choke against the fence, and the ref stops the fight without him tapping or anything. And he look, he gets up, looks at the ref like, what, why? What happened? I guess it was like one of those Robbie Lawler things where he thought he saw Will go out, but Will was like clearly just trying to get back to his feet, and it was like, what? what? <laughs> like, it was one of the weirdest, con- most confusing stoppages I've seen in a while. Will's had a rough run since coming over as a as a you know pretty big pickup for UFC coming out of Bellator. You know, like around the same time that uh, Eddie Alvarez did, and ouch, man! I mean, mm-hmm. lost his three of four, got cut, did bounce back with a couple PFL wins and a draw, but yeah, yeah. Well, I tried to bring the the. Uh... Attitude here back up. That didn't work. How about, <laughs> how about Connor telling Dana that he's very mad at him for saying Jorge Masvidal is too big for him? Okay, I like that. That popped me. 
Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. That popped me because it shows you that the fight is still in him. The fighter's still in him. Of course it is, right? Why? Who's Dana going out and saying Masvidal's too big for him when Masvidal competes at welterweight, where Connor has already fought? Masvidal's a career lightweight, where Connor was the champion. So it all makes a ton of sense. Is this some kind of weird backwards way, though, of Dana making this fight into existence? Of, of getting the drum, getting beat for it? Beat? Or does he really mean Masvidal's the wrong fight for Connor because he's too big? I, th- I think, um, Dana's right, though. I think it's right. Here, here's the reality of the situation. Sometimes when you have a guy like Connor who can be such a draw and you need to have people drawn to your sport, um, I, I don't think that you put him in fights like Jorge Masvidal. I don't think you put him with, with guys like that. I think you put him with guys who who he has a better chance of, who he's a bit fresher than, that has a bigger name. You know what I'm saying? Like a Conor, like a, uh, Jose like Aldo. a cowboy. Give me a huh? Jose Aldo fight already. Okay, give me the rematch. A jo- jo- Jose Aldo. Another Jose Aldo fight. Here, here's here's what we have with Conor. Is Conor that dude who still can go out there and potentially win a title? Yeah. But is he going to do that right now? No. He's not doing that right now. He's not doing that right now. He he has to get back to being that confident fighter again. He's not that confident fighter coming off the loss that he comes from. He has to get back in there with somebody who he's fresher than, somebody who he is better than or or as has some some attributes better than where it favors him. Yeah, Dana's saying in that interview that Connor is really waiting on the September Dustin Poirier Habib title fight, which I guess would seem to make sense because if he was going to have the fight you mentioned, Rashad, he would already fought Cerrone over the summer, right? Or, right. You know, so Cerrone was just an example, and and I, and I am to make like Cerrone like an easy fight because there's nothing easier about Cerrone. But the fact is, Cerrone has a lot of fights under his belt, and he has a lot, and he right, has. You're making sense. That, yeah. But, That's uh, a fight for Connor. So, Brando, based on this information, where and when do we see Connor back? And don't say Nate trilogy. I don't even think I want that anymore because it just seems like it's been there. It's been the lottery ticket that's been sitting out there. But they don't have a rivalry anymore, so it doesn't pop me to, to, to see them cash it in for no reason. I would like to see some trash talk or something built up. I, I kind of feel like Connor's in this all or nothing, I need Habib again type of feeling when – the real fight for him might be Max in terms of rematches, right? So Rashad told us about a month ago, I think, when we were joking about talking about Connor every week and what's next for him and the fact that him not fighting like this but keeping his name in headlines is good because that means people are getting more interested in him coming back. I'm kind of at the point where it's like, dude, fight or don't. Like, stop doing this nonsense, please. Like, I'm... I'm, I'm <laughs> I'm back to this point again. It's like I'm so tired of hearing you talk about fighting and then not actually doing anything. Like fight Max, please. I would love that fight at 155. Fight Jorge at 170 if you really want that money and want that smoke again. But do something, man. Like right. I, I can't do this thing with him on the sidelines anymore just sitting around saying, oh, yeah, I'll fight him. I'll fight him. And then you don't fight him. It's like stop it. We did like get his make the Jose Aldo fight. Jose needs a fight. Get him in the get him in the octagon. You're not wrong. We did get his response though. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. 
I'll take that. Uh, yeah, it might, might be Connor moratorium time, but that that was the news of the week. Uh, you got anything else that we some fights booked? Anything to get me excited about? Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, but they officially announced that Chris Weidman Dom Reyes fight for UFC Boston in, in October. I like the fight. I don't know how much I like it for Mr. Weidman, but it should be an interesting fight nonetheless. I'm gonna be interested to see what he actually has. What's left inside of him and how he looks at 205. But we are inevitably heading into the Rockhold Weidman rematch at 205. And I am here for that smoke. Yep. Bring We're it. We're both coming off of losses. Yes. All right. It's UFC Newark time, guys. That's the big <laughs> card this weekend. And the man headlining it is your unbeaten, you can call him former UFC interim welterweight champion, but he's still wearing that strap. And we got him here on this show this week, and he ain't pulling any punches. He's coming right at you. It's Colby Covington. Enjoy. Ryan, what's going on, man? Yes, the UFC interim welterweight champion, Colby Covington, joining us. Colby, until somebody beats you, I don't think I can take that title away from you. That's right. That title is not getting taken away. You know, you got to beat me to earn that title. So you can call me what you want. You can call me the interim champ. You can call me America's champ, or you can call me the people's champ or Donald Trump's favorite fighter. But you cannot call me former anything until I'm beaten inside that octagon. That's one thing I cannot argue with. You're facing Robbie Lawler in a must-see main event Saturday, UFC Newark, ESPN, main card, 3 p.m. Eastern start time. So, Colby. There's a little back and forth here. Robbie Lawler, not a big trash talker, but you came out the bat on Ariel's show and shared a lot of sort of volatile facts from your point of view about how his relationship with ATT ended. I had a chance to interview him the next day. He claims lies on every word you spoke. How do you respond to that? Uh, you know, he, then he's just up in his feelings because that's all truth. I, I would never say a lie. I promise you right here today that, that none of that is lies. He left because of picture. He saw a picture of Tyrone Woodley hanging in the gym when he went into the gym and he got all of his feelings. He's a sensitive little guy. And, you know, he went back and he left the gym. He turned his back on all the people that helped build them up, all the coaches, all the training partners. Dan Lambert did everything for him, gave him everything he wanted, whenever he wanted. He's had it better than anybody's I'm team of America, top team. I have a job to do this weekend. That's Lee Robbie Lawler in a pool of his own blood. Wow. Wow. What is the minute-by-minute, day-to-day thoughts on Robbie Lawler inside American top team in Florida? Is it is it a dislike across the board, or is this just a Colby and Robbie thing? Uh, this is just a Colby and Robbie thing. You know, I know a lot of guys like him, and he still has a lot of friends there, but you know, I'm, I've always had that mon- that mantra that you know I'm not I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make money. So, and Robbie Lawler, you know, I really do take it personal, man. The things he did to American Top Team, he just up and left our gym. We built him back up. If you guys don't remember, he left Arizona, he left Iowa, he left you know all these training camps. The problem's always been Robbie Lawler. The problem's not American Top Team. The problem is Robbie Lawler. So, you know, he turned our back on our gym, American Top Team. I'm gonna make it pay for it on Saturday night. Now, when you look at Robbie Lawler, former champion, the age is creeping up on him, but looked reborn against Ben Askren, at least from my opinion. What version of Robbie Lawler are you expecting in the cage on Saturday? I think, uh, as we can see in his last fight, his first-round knockout over Ben Askren, that he looks better than he's ever looked. You know, physically, I've never seen him that rip before. I trained with him 
in his early 30s and he wasn't that ripped and that big. So, you know, Robbie Lawler looks like he's better than ever. And I expect the best Robbie Lawler on Saturday night. And that's just going to prove how good my greatness is and that I'm the best welterweight of all time when I leave him on a stretcher carted away from that octagon. All right, Colby, you're no stranger to pressing people's buttons in, a, in, in seemingly a calculated way. But as you know in life, not just in the fighting world, in work, in school, on the train, wherever you are, there are some people that are deemed, let's say, too crazy. You don't want to be pressing those buttons. Connor found that out against Habib, if you will. Is there any part of this strategy of you bringing to light these things that happened to Robbie and ATT that could end up backfiring? Because Robbie's this soft-spoken guy, but you know there's a killer under there. Let's be honest. If I if I wasn't soft-spoken, do you think he's going to go easier on, on Saturday night with me? You think all of a sudden he's just going to be like, oh, Colby, you said nice things about me. I'm just going to let you beat me, and I'm going to let you knock me out first round so you look even better. You think he's just going to gonna roll over for me? Either way, he's coming in. He's coming in to kill. So whether I open up and ignite a certain thing in him, that's even better. That means we're going we're gonna to see a greater Robbie Lawler on Saturday. I'm getting, up, I'm getting a more fired up and more determined Robbie Lawler on Saturday. That's what I want. I, don't, I want the best version of Robbie Lawler because I want to show the world who the greatest welterweight is. That's, that's, a, that's very fair. Let's talk the history of the two of you uh, working out together, sparring against each other. Some people like to leave that stuff in the gym. I'm not one of them, Colby Covington. What did it look like when you and Robbie Lawler sparred back in the day? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't competitive, you know. It looked like an amateur to a professional, you know. I, I showed that I was a different level, and that's why he seeked me out. He found me, and he said, Colby Covington, I want to train with you every day. I want, I need you to help me prepare for, for Johnny Hendricks. And that's what I did. Both fights, I gave my all to help him be the best he could be for those Johnny Hendricks fights. So I gave him a lot, man. I trained with him every day, you know, grappling, wrestling, sparring. And look what he did to me. He turned his back on me, man. He left our gym. Where's he been? He hasn't been here to help me for my title shot. He hasn't been helping me for my big fights. So, you know, I got to give him a big slap in the face this weekend for, for, for being just a piece of shit, just being a selfless bastard. You know, I'm selfless. He's selfish. Well, Robbie Lawler's keys throughout his career has, have obviously been his incredible striking game, his, his warrior spirit on the inside. How is his takedown defense going to match up with your elite wrestling ability on Saturday? Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, he's the, the biggest puncher in the division, the most power in the division, you know, he, and he's got great takedown defense. But the thing is, he's coming up against the best wrestler that the UFC has ever seen. So, you know, he could have great takedown defense, but he if he stops my takedowns, he's going to get knocked out, you know, because then he's going to be putting his hands too low defending takedowns and I'm going to come up with big strikes. So that's the good thing about Colby Chaos Covington is he is the well, most well-rounded fighter in the world of mixed martial arts today. So I'm going to go out there and prove that this weekend that I can win the fight anywhere. If he if he wants to put his hands down and stop my takedowns, I'm going to knock him out. If he doesn't stop, if he wants to keep his hands up and not defend takedowns, I'm going to take him down and choke him out. But it's going to be a light and easy night's work on Saturday night. Well, that's I think the the area when people are handicapping this fight where look you're the betting favorite, you're the younger fighter, you're streaking, you're on a great run right now. But the, if there's any questions, people are saying, well, what happens if what you just said, Robbie Lawler stuffs your takedowns? and we've got a, a, a boxing or kickboxing match on our hands. I certainly love the confidence in you saying you're well-rounded and you're going to take that. Do you think you've had to show at, up to this point your full striking game? Yeah, you know, in, in the fight with RDA, that guy's a well-rounded fighter, a, a Muay Thai champion, you know, and I outstruck him. You know, I dropped him with a big uppercut, 
and had him wobbled on on queer streets. So, you know, I, I've fought with good strikers. Dung Hum Kim, that guy's a crazy knockout guy. I'm the last guy that retired him. I dropped him with a big left hand and beat him up on the tees. So, you know, I've fought great strikers before. And, and the thing is, is people don't realize is that's all I train every day. You know, I know how good my wrestling is. It's the best in the world. But I knew I had to evolve and I had to make my matching, my striking match my wrestling. So, you're going to see, you know, the new 2.0 version of Colby Covington on, on Saturday night, and that's a guy that can strike and he can wrestle, and he does them both at world-class levels. Wow, wow, that's getting me fired up for this fight. Uh, what do you think makes you different? Because we've seen a lot of great wrestlers in UFC, but, you know, I went back and watched your RDA fight the other day, and, and I was just sort of wowed at just the constant pressure, the footwork, the never let that man breathe for one second. So what do you think separates you from those other guys who have reputations as being great wrestlers inside the octagon? Yeah, you know, they can be great wrestlers, but they don't have the cardio that I have. I always had a gift of cardio, even in the wrestling. Like, I would break guys inside seven-minute matches, and, I, and guys would be so tired, and they, didn't, they never wanted to wrestle me. They feared me, so... My wrestling is completely different than any other wrestler because I'll go for an hour straight, like, and I don't get tired. These wrestlers, like, they have just a match in them, and that's it. They can't any longer. So my pace and cardio alone, no one can keep up with it. You know, it's from a lot of work in the bedroom. I put in countless hours with many different chicks. So, you know, my cardio is at an all-time high, and no one's going to be ready for that pace. I'm telling you, Robbie Lawler will find out Saturday night, Uh, only on ESPN. Are there groupies in the UFC? Of course. Anytime money and fame and you're in the spotlight, there's going to be groupies around. So especially being in South Florida, you know, people see my, you know, I got a big Instagram following now and and I'm a famous pro athlete and I'm making good money. So, you know, of course, there's a lot of groupies and girls that, you know, are, are running around the block trying to find me. Being a polarizing individual as you are, do you get people in real life trying to challenge your toughness? Do you get people at Walmart? trying to step to you what's it like being chaos covington yeah that's the thing people know that you don't cross those boundaries with me i I am the baddest man walking the planet right now so you you don't want to piss me off or or, you know say the wrong thing to me because you'll end up unconscious in the in the hospital so you know people know that you don't want to mess with me you push my buttons and that'll be the last thing you ever push so don't mess with colby chaos covington does the great Fabricio Verdum deserve a receipt from the boomerang affair, or is that behind you? Uh, see, that's what's funny about Fabricio Verdum, that that filthy animal had to use a weapon. He couldn't even use his hands. I squared up with him, and I kicked him in the leg, and he, he found out right, right away that he had to use a weapon. He wasn't going to be able to beat me with his bare hands. So, And that's a heavyweight, so you can imagine what it could be with just some average Joe on the street. Have relations between you and the nation of Brazil uh, – increased at all in a good way since that dust up will you ever fight there again i i would love to go back to that dump of brazil you know it's it's a great place you know it's a third world dump I, I, you know the nation they respect me now i mean mainly the women not not so much the men i know the men are jealous of me but i know all the women love me and, and i have a lot of brazilian girlfriends back in south florida so you know i think uh, brazil has really embraced me as their true king and, and they want a winner like me so you know, they're they're definitely taking me as, as my own. And, you know, now that Bolsonaro is the president over in uh, Brazil, you know, we got a little Make America Great Again down in Brazil. So that's definitely my adopted second home. How are your relations with Dana White, UFC president these days? Because I'm sure you weren't excited when he took the interim title, at least in, in name form, away from you. You obviously carry around the physical championship belt. Are things great between you and the boss? 
Yeah, things are great between me and Dana. You know, he understands where I'm coming from. He he now he sees who I am now. Before he didn't know who I was, and, and it's because we never had to sit down and interview and or sit down talking. We were never able to really hash things out and and state each other and how we feel and and where we're coming from. So now he knows where I'm coming from and and what I'm trying to accomplish. And and you know he he realized he real recognized real. So I got I got no problems with Dana. We're on better terms now. All right, as we look at what's at stake for you in this fight against Robbie Lawler, I think it's pretty clear you look impressive. You look great. You're getting a title shot. Obviously, the elephant in the room in that discussion is Jorge Masvidal's, what, five-second KO of Ben Askren. So what's going to happen? Who's going to get the next title shot? Who deserves it most? What does the future of welterweight look like? I mean, there's no question. It's not about who deserves it. I don't need a title shot because I already have a title, but... You know, let's be honest. Is there a more dynamic duo in in all of MMA than me and Jorge Masvidal right now? That's my best friend. You know, we're the Batman and Robin of of the UFC. You know, of course I'm Batman. He's Robin. But you know, let's be honest, man. He's on a two fight winning streak. You know, and as best friend, you know, I had to get revenge for him. You know, he lost to Damian Maya just a short time ago, so I had to go beat up Damian Maya and leave him in a pool of his own blood. And then you know, he lost to Stephen Thompson. He was on a two fight losing streak, about to lose his job. And then, you know, I was going to beat up Stephen Thompson before he got knocked out by a lightweight, but, you know, it doesn't make sense to fight him now. So, you know, I'm, I'm really happy for George. You know, he's on a two-fight win streak. He's doing good things. But, you know, he, he's going to have to sit back and, and watch, watch me do work because this is my time now and I'm fighting for the title and no one's getting in my way. He can, he can come fight me after I beat up Usman. Now, you say best friends. Um, is this a Cain Velasquez uh, DC best friends, or is this a John Jones Rashad Evans best friends? Where if it if if the friendship goes inside that cage, you're more than willing. Yeah, we you know this is uh this is more of a, a we've we've set boundaries and we know what we're gonna fight for. We're only gonna fight each other for the undisputed strap. You know, it's not like we're just gonna fight each other just to keep our place in the division. So you know, we know it's a business. We understand the business side, and this is the fighting business, man. It's not. I mean, as we are best friends, but. We have to we have to settle it because we both want to be the best in the world. So you know, the, you could go on YouTube and watch us. We fought in in, uh, in apartments before. We fought in bathrooms. We fight in the gym. We sparred hours and hours and, and and years together. So it would be nothing to go get paid a ton of money, a buttload of cash to go fight each other for the undisputed strap, and then and put our friendship aside for one night, and then we go back to being best friends the next day. I can respect that. Uh, final question here, Colby. This is an interesting scenario. We know champion Kamaru Usman is injured at the moment trying to get back. Uh, ben Askren calls him Marty. Let's say the champ Marty needs more time than expected, and you beat Robbie Lawler, and UFC says, look, we're going to need you to bring that interim championship out of the closet and back on the scene. Would you take an interim championship bout, or would you wait out Marty for that championship opportunity? Uh, yeah, I would definitely take one, uh, to fight for the, you know, it just depends on what my paycheck reflects that what I, what I'm deserved and what I owe, you know, that's, you know, I'm only fighting for undisputed pay now. So if they got undisputed pay to pay me, then no problem. We can fight for whatever, but you know, let's be honest, man, Marty fake newsman. He's faking injuries. He's, he's faking, faking, uh, fake surgeries. He was in a wheelchair the night of his fight. You remember that when he fought Woodley, he was in a wheelchair. Yes. Oh, but then the next day he was jumping the, the, the barriers and the Palms Buffet line to get my face on, on all that stuff in TMZ. Did you see those videos? I did. I did. That, that... So let's be honest, man. 
he's faking injuries, man. He's not really hurt, dude. He's just doing this. He's doing the same thing Tyron Woodley did. He's just using that belt as leverage to go around to these sponsors, to go around to these places and get paid with it because he knows as soon as he fights, he's going to get his ass kicked by me. So he wants to he wants to get every dime he can while he's the fake paper champion with that number one contender Power Ranger looking belt. But you know that if he doesn't fight soon, he's going to get stripped. Let's be honest; it's already been eight months, and if he doesn't fight soon, he's getting stripped. And and I'm everybody knows I'm the real world champion anyway. So let's just move the division on without him. There are people who have questioned why you didn't fight him in that buffet line. Is that a business decision not to fight him there when he steps to you? Exactly. I'm a smart businessman. If I fight him in that Palms buffet line, I'm never going to get to fight him in the octagon. But let's look on the other side. Let's not look at why did I not fight him in the Palms buffet line. Why will he not fight me in a professional cage like a true professional? Why Why is he only trying to fight me in a buffet line? Because he knows that there's consequences if I swing on him and I'm going to jail and I'm going to lose my career. But the real question is, why won't Marty Fake Newsman fight me in the UFC octagon? Wow. Wow. Spitting hot fire. The interim champion, Colby Covington. Can't wait for this fight. Saturday, Newark, Robbie Lawler. 3 p.m. Eastern is the main card start time on ESPN. Colby, thank you for the time, sir. You you you, fi- you filled some some uh, some great sound bites for us. We appreciate it. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks for having me. Wow, wow. He brought it. We gave him a microphone, and he brought it. Uh, fellas, you weren't uh, privy due to timing to hear this interview before it happened, but. Um, suffice to say, Colby, he ripping on everybody. And I want to talk to you about this. This has been their beef, Rashad. Colby saying Robbie Lawler turned his back on ATT. Turncoat. He's a bitch. He's all these things. Because they put a framed picture of Tyron Woodley in the gym celebrating his title win over Robbie. Had Robbie on this podcast a couple weeks ago, he says this is absolutely not the case. Colby saying, of course he'd say that. Does this matter? Is this fuel Robbie? Are we going to get psych, psych, extra psycho Robbie? Is this the right guy you want to be pushing the buttons on? A guy who Robbie Lawler, who doesn't really like interviews, just likes to train hard and bash skulls. Yeah, knowing Robbie and just just watching him around the gym for the last couple of years, I know that a Robbie that's focused, a Robbie that's quiet is a very dangerous Robbie. And I think that's where Colby's getting him right now. You know, he, he's in the gym and he's got his head down. He comes in, he does his work and he's very methodical. And, and you can see he has that chip on the shoulder. Um, he's not engaging with the banter back and forth with, with Colby. Uh, but he is taking note. You know, he is taking note and, and he is, I can tell a, a little bit bothered by, by what Colby's saying. And, you know, I think I think some aspect of him is just kind of like, all right, you know, this guy is just trying to say this. He's a kid. But then um, the bigger aspect is like, oh, yeah, you want to be disrespectful? You want to say all this stuff? We're going to see. We're going to find out. You're going to find out. Brandon, your thoughts on Colby saying he has the best cardio in UFC because of all the women he bangs? <laughs> nope. Nope. All right. <laughs> no. Well, more importantly, um, we talk about no, everything. Colby does have great cardio, though. He it, 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 Listen. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be honest and say this. Kobe talks crazy, talks some crazy trash. He says the most cringeworthy things sometimes. But when you break down his fighting and you break down his ability to push the pace, a wrestling pace at that, 
that is great conditioning because here's the thing about pushing the wrestling pace. If I push a wrestling pace and I start the fight pushing wrestling pace, I can't abandon that in the middle of the fight or else I am going to or else my, my opponent is going to see that and he's going to get me up out of there. If I push a wrestling pace, I have to stay with that from the beginning of the fight all the way until the end of the fight. Because if I relent in any between, then I'm going to get found out and I'm going to get, I'm going to get uh, stopped or get caught. So, no, I mean, I went back and watched the RDA fight, Rashad. That, that, that cardio is legit. The it, angles, the constant. It's legit, man. It's, it's legit. He, he comes, he comes with a lot of pressure for it and he comes with punches and, and he, and he's ferocious in there. I'm going to be honest. The kid is ferocious in there when, when he comes with that pressure. And it's why we want to see him against Kamaru because they both do the same, same thing. thing. The same thing. And I it's going to just be a head clash back and forth for five rounds because they just both have crazy cardio and crazy strikes. Well, so. Brando, I talked to uh, Colby about, you know, the, the if there's a d- doubt against him, it's the doubt of his striking game. And he's he was quick to respond. Go back and watch how I how I outstruck RDA, how I backed him up, how I did all these things. He thinks he's the most well-rounded fighter in the game. I get he's a lot of talk. But he's saying outright to me, Brandon Wise, if Robbie Lawler stuffs my takedowns, and yes, they have history sparring in the past at ATT, Colby says he was the guy who pretended to be Johnny Hendricks preparing for those two title fights for Robbie. He says he's not afraid to go toe-to-toe with Robbie, and he will knock him out. Mm. I want to see it. I want to see it. Now, here's the thing, though. It's, you know, when you train with a guy and you train with him like that, when you when you pretend to be the other guy, you learn so much about that fighter. Because here's the thing about it. When you pretend to be the other guy, it's it, you're not doing your style. You know what I'm saying? So you learn how to hang in. They're pretty good and decent, not even doing your style. So then you kind of get a little bit of confidence. You're like, oh, I think I can do I can do pretty well, because when I had to mirror mirror some of my training partner, like some of uh like when Vitor Belfort had to fight John Jones, I, I would pretend to be John Jones. But then after that, I'm just like, mm, I, I, I kind of, I kind of figured a little bit of, uh, of Vitor's game out a bit, you know, just because I was pretending to be John Jones, and I had to analyze his, his, you know, I had to analyze everything in order for me to pretend I'm John Jones. You know what I'm saying? So I learned how to uh, figure out Vitor by pretending to be John Jones. So there is some truth to what. Uh, Kobe said he could he could have learned a way to figure out Robbie Lawler just by pretending to be Johnny Hendricks. I mean, this is such a good fight, though. I'm really looking forward to this. It's not just what's at stake. And certainly Kobe says if he wins in any form, he's getting the title shot. He's the real champion, all that stuff. But what's interesting in, in talking to Kobe about, and, we, and we'll get back to the fight in a second, but is his future. And, the, and he says it straight up. I'm, I'm best friends with Jorge Masvidal. But we've got an agreement. That we would fight each other only if the undisputed championship was at stake. Rashad, you had the famous friends, foes, friends again relationship with John Jones. That's 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 interesting. That's different from the Kane and DC way of doing business. It is. It sure is, man. And that's and that's something that I never really got into with all my training partners that I train alongside with. We never got into the whole like, okay, I'm going to train with you and go as hard as I can with you and be your brother inside the the gym. But then. At a moment's notice, I can hit the switch and we gotta we gotta fight each other. We did, we never we never signed up for that because in order for us to truly truly train train, you have to be vulnerable, and being vulnerable it takes a lot of trust in your training partner. So 
when you develop that relationship with your training partner, because this relationship, because there's going to be some days you go in there and you feel like dog crap and your opponent, your, your training partner is going to be like, all right, bro, we got to get this work in. And he's going to have to push you without trying to kick your butt. And there's going to be days where you do that for him. But that's what it, that's the reciprocity of training together. You know what I'm saying? That's what a brotherhood of training together is. Now, if you have in your mind that you're going to fight somebody that you're training with, then you can't fully give yourself in the training capacity because you're always going to hold a little bit back. You know? So that's why we never enter that whole thing. And that's why I think it's crazy. Guys who do that, all the power to them, but I never could do that as a competitor. I can't imagine those two best friends. He's got to be fooling us. This has got to be a shtick. Yeah, listen, it's it's a stick just like his mama seat does. All right, Brandon, I want to break down this fight. What's the biggest key here? What are you looking for that has to happen that's going to decide for you who wins this fight? I mean, it's just gonna it's gonna come down to Robbie being able to stuff takedowns. If Robbie keeps this fight on its feet, the advantage goes to Robbie to me. But if if Colby's able to take him to the fence, drag him out drain his legs by laying on him for those first five minutes or first few minutes of the fight. I mean, it's going to be all Colby. I think that's the thing is like, we need to see Robbie's card. What Robbie's cardio is going to look like if it goes to a fourth and fifth round. To me, that's going to be the biggest question mark is I know we've seen it in the past, but we haven't seen it at this point and against a wrestler like this. So I want to see what his cardio looks like. If it's, if it gets challenged, if not, I mean, I think Robbie can knock him out in the first two rounds. But wow. it's gonna, it's gonna take him stuffing a bunch of takedown attempts and keeping the fight on the feet and off the ground. I, th- I think it's partly what you're saying, partly stuffing. But to think that you're gonna shut a guy down like that's the thing, like Colby Covington with with taking you down is is, is crazy. You know, he, this guy's a, a takedown specialist. He's gonna get you down. So for me, I wouldn't worry so much on being taken down as I would worried about contesting the get up contesting that like and, and that's and that's one thing like when you know whenever he gets taken down if he's able to get back up or scramble to not allow Kobe to get seated position where he's able to rest and able to just okay take a breather after working so hard to get a takedown then that's when the takedown start turning against Kobe then that's when it's like oh man he's getting right back up again and then it's like man I don't I don't I don't know if I can take this guy down again not because I can't take him down again but because can I hold him down that's you know, that, that's, that's when your, your, your takedowns start to thwart your own, you, cause there's times where I was in fights and I'm like, man, I can take this guy down again. Michael Bisming, perfect example. I was taking Michael Bisming down, but he became so hard for me to hold down. It just wasn't worth it to hold him down, take him down anymore because I was end up doing more work by holding him down than I would if we were standing up on our feet. So that's what Robbie has to bring to it. Just contest everything. That's very interesting. What is the internet going to look like? If if Robbie gets the opportunity to, because if I hurt him, I wasn't taking his neck. What were you gonna take? His soul. What's what's <laughs> the world gonna look like for the next you know three minutes after that happens? I mean, you got to give Colby credit, love him or hate him. A lot of people hate him. I mean, he's put a lot into this shtick, right? He he said he's still coming after that filth hole Brazil. He he wants to fight for doom. I mean, he's got every market cornered. For you to hate him, there's going to be some rejoicing going on in social media. There, there really is. There's going to be a lot of memes made if, if he loses his fight, and that's the thing about it. Like nowadays, you know, you, you can be a trash talker if you want to, but the meme game is so real on the internet; it's undefeated. The internet is undefeated, <laughs> and, 
And if you do something, oh my goodness, it's gonna have be. Have you on been itself. mean? They didn't. They didn't put like crying Jordan and Rashad's face together or anything, right? There was nothing like no, that. No, you know, I was so nervous about that. <laughs> I was, that was my main thing. I'm like, do not cry, do not cry, do not cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, prediction time for this one. I love this fight. I just got this feeling like Robbie Lawler is back, that he's a new person, that he's a new warrior, that he's reshed and refreshed. I saw reshed, uh, rested. You know, it's now. Yeah. Um, I saw something in that Askren fight. I know he lost it under controversial settings, but I saw something in there and I, st- I, I feel like this is a bad matchup for Colby. I get the math. I get where the takedowns come in and the outworking and the gas tank and his gas tank is phenomenal. And if his striking is even half of what he's saying it is, it's an interesting fight. But Robbie's Robbie's still one of those last warriors of the brute strength mold of the, I'll take a round off to regain some breath, but I'm going to kill you in that fifth round. This guy, I think he's got one more in him. I like Robbie Lawler to stop him. And it's not one based on, on, on a technical pick. Sometimes it's more on just an emotional pick. I feel like it's his time right here. I feel it. Yeah, BC, I, I agree. I agree too. And here's why I say that because, you know, it's one thing for an older fighter to grow old in, in the corner of his gym somewhere where he's not really tested and he's kind of, you know, living on, on, on what his past accomplishments were. But that's not the case with Robbie Lawler being the fact that he's in the gym with the world champion right now. And those guys train alongside each other. Those guys work together and things like that. So he's, te- he's, he's continuing to be pushed at the highest level at the highest level with the world champion. So going in there with a guy like Kobe who had the exact same game plan but not the champion, I think that that gives Robbie a, a, a more confidence going into this fight. And then plus, to add to that, you have the history together, training together and all those kind of things. And I think that that, that errs in the favor of Robbie Lawler. And then the third thing, he's not saying anything. Yes. Quiet. He's not saying anything. He's going to go out there and fight. So that's one less person he has to fight when he goes out there, which is himself. Because when you say something, you got to back that up. (laughs) So now it's you versus your opponent and you versus yourself as well, too. So I like I like uh, Robbie in this fight, even though I I think that Kobe's going to give him a lot in the first uh, couple rounds. But I think eventually Robbie's going to have his way. All right. Ready? You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready to tell a story here, okay? So, my prediction goes, I think that Colby grinds us out for five rounds. He's going to do the game plan that we've been talking about for the last few minutes. He's going to just ride Robbie in the fence, bloody him up, bruise him up, all that stuff. He's then going to call out your best friend and men, men, not men, you're his mentor. Um, Are you talking about Marty Snoozman? (laughs) Yes. But he's going to call him out, and Marty, as he calls him, is going to have a boomerang, and he's going to throw that boomerang from the set. (laughs) And that's how we're going to get to the fight. (laughs) Make this happen, BC. Interesting. Uh, True or false, Brandon Wise, you were doing some MMA sparring in the same gym as Robbie Lawler. On Saturday, yes, I was. Now, now, what is what do what do you what did you see? Are you allowed I, to share this? I'm I mean, not going to do that. No, no, no. I'm not saying. No, I'm not saying. Would you <laughs> oh, say? They will kick I, your look, ass, look, wise. Good. Did he look sharp? Like, yes. Like yes. that. He Don't was... tell me what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, he does, man. Like when I when I'm in there, I'm doing amateur stuff, right? Like I'm not over there with the pros doing all of their work. 
but I'm able to see the ends of their classes. And for the guy, for a guy who I know has just gone through an hour of training, doing all of his his combinations, drills, his his punches and kicks into the wrestling and into the takedown defense, like he still looked like he had enough juice to say, "Give me another three guys." Like, let me do another set of drills because this is what he needs to do. You know, like he needs he needs to be as ready as he can for somebody who's going to try to just take him down the whole fight. Mm -hmm. And he looked like he was ready. Love it. Love this fight. Uh, Jim Miller, Clay Guida is one for the hardcores in this main event, a co-main event. Uh, It'll be violent. It'll be bloody. It should be fantastic. I didn't even know Jim Miller was still allowed to fight. This, this these guys have had some killer careers. These guys are lingering. This is going to be amazing, man. But it, it's be- Jim Miller in New Jersey. Oh, that's right. He had won two of his last three after that four fight losing skid. Uh, yeah. This should be good. The, my prediction: pain for for everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I don't like much else on this card, though. Talk me off that ledge. Nah, I can't talk you off that ledge, man. There's not a lot happening on this card, to be honest. Um, but you know what? It's uh, you know, here, here's here's the thing about this card. It's not a lot of big blockbuster names, but I always find when these cards are are put together that sometimes these are the cards that that are just you know knockout after knockout, the most entertaining to watch because these these fighters they they bring it. And um, you know, cards like this, the sleepers, I think that this might be a good sleeper card. Antonina Shevchenko looking to bounce back. I, I know you don't follow her on Instagram, Brandon, but I do. Thank you. Kennedy and Zook. And Zuchikwu, I can't ever say his last name correctly, but that dude can bang. He's a big dude who loves to just knock dudes out. So he's the other guy that I'd be watching on this card. He was another one of those Dana White Contender Series guys. Light heavyweight against Darko Stosik. All right, that is it. That's the show. Hey, 3 p.m. Eastern starting time on Saturday from Newark. Praise the yes. Lord, right? What is that going to feel like? You're going to be there early. I'm going to be there. Wait a minute. What? Wait, wait, what? <laughs> hey, by the way, before we go, uh, one championship is on Friday this week. Guess who's fighting again? Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Is that, will that be televised in the U.S.? I don't think so. Illegal Russian streams. No, isn't it live on the BR stream? Is it? I thought it was only tape delay. I don't know. I thought it was tape delay and then they do that monthly show where they show the, all the highlights on TNT. I don't know. Are you watching PFL these days? Occasionally. All right. Mostly when Kayla Harrison fights. <laughs> okay, at least you're honest. At least you're honest. Um, check out Rashad on the ESPN broadcast this weekend. Check out our other offerings from State of Combat coming at you. Boxing, mixed martial arts, pro wrestling every week. Um, guys, you got anything else you want to sell, talk about, promote? Uh, if anybody wants to join and help with the Always Progress, the team that I'm working with, you can go to alwaysprogress.org and go to the Legacy Project and yes. donate money to help us out to uh, help these gyms, you know, build these gyms for these kids. Love that. Love that. Brando, any word on Boogie Woman coming back? Not yet. Still waiting. She's right. doing a lot right. of talking with Dana White. I heard I heard they're they're trying to put together a fight. With yeah. Her, yeah. Sources? Huh? Sources? With sources? Your sources? Oh, my sources? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I heard that she got, she may have a pretty, pretty good fight coming up. Uh, tomorrow. Okay, not tomorrow, but she'll be back. She will be back. All right, that's the show for this week for Brandon Wise, for Rashad Evans. I want you to put it on. I, want I, you. I will not do that. My name is BC. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening. We've got two words for you. We out.